0: We're going to jump right into the Word of God. If you have a Bible or device, you can open it up to Luke chapter 2. If you don't, that's okay. Everything will be on the screen for you as well. For many of you, it's a story that you've heard many times, but maybe for some of you, it's not. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius, was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each in his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to, Ju- to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them at the end. The story starts out as the story of a child being born, but it's not as sterilized as we often make it. right? This is often a story that's told in Sunday school, and there's cute little elephants and donkeys or whatever, and there's just like pretty stars, but, but it was a real story where a woman who is very pregnant, a young woman who's very pregnant has to walk 100 miles, either on her feet or maybe on camel, and you ladies that have been pregnant, would you have wanted to go on a 100-mile journey hike in the Middle East while you were extremely pregnant? And then they finally get where they're going. To Bethlehem, and I'm sure that all Mary wants is a place to lay down, someplace soft, and a place that if she's going to have her baby, it will be clean and safe. And yet, they find none of those things. There is no place to stay, there is no room at the end. They end up in a stable, maybe even a cave where animals live and eat and do their business. And there, in a dirty stable, next to the animals, in a nothing town. That is where God comes to earth and becomes Emmanuel, which means God with us. That is the situation in which Jesus comes into this world. The very earth that they are standing on was created by him. The very stars that are shining down upon them were created by him. And he comes as a poor Middle Eastern child in the middle of a stable. It's the ultimate act of humility. There are no palaces. There are no servants. There are no satin sheets. There's not even the praise of the ruling people around. But something much bigger is taking place. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So his angel comes and he says, I have great news. And it's news of joy. It's not just news of happiness that can be taken away by whatever context that you're in. It is news of joy. He says, I have good news which we talk a lot about the gospel here. Good news is the gospel. The gospel literally means good news. And he says, I have good news not only for you but for all of the people of the world. The angel is delivering the gospel to all people, all humanity, every race down the tunnel of time for the rest of the world and he says it is a message of great joy and then he speaks to these humble shepherds and he says today in the town of David a savior has been born to you he is the messiah the lord and when the angel makes this declaration he's making a clear statement that this child is not just special He is the Messiah, the Savior that the Jewish people have been waiting for for thousands of years, the Savior that the world, the whole world needs. They are telling, the angel is telling these shepherds very clearly, this is him. And he's setting one kingdom against another. He is setting the kingdom of God against the kingdom of the world because we talked about in the first part of this chapter, there's this evil political ruler over in Rome named Caesar Augustus and the whole reason that they have to go on this journey is that Caesar Augustus has demanded that they do so he's oppressing people he's mistreating people that can't take care of themselves and his name is Caesar Augustus which is great because Caesar Augustus literally means ruler majestic he gave himself that name by the way very humble man, majestic ruler. He's actually the great nephew of Julius Caesar and the adopted son of Julius Caesar. And so when Julius Caesar dies, Caesar Augustus declares, actually Julius Caesar was God and therefore I am the son of God. He is declaring to the entire world, I'm the son of God. And all of the peace that's going on in this world is because of me, because Rome has brought peace over all of its enemies. And so when this angel says to the shepherd, today is born for you the Son of God, he is setting opposed two kingdoms, one that will ultimately fall and one that will reign forever. His proclamation was on purpose. He wants them to understand. He wants you to understand there is only one true God. There is only one true Son of God, and He alone can be your Lord and your Savior. And when this angel says, a Savior is born to you, he's making a statement that we often skip over when we talk about Christmas. We talk about Savior a lot, but if there is a Savior, that means what? That we need a savior. That there's something broken that we need to be saved from. We need a savior. Those men in the field needed a savior. And you can only find joy in Jesus if you admit, I need a savior. I need a messiah. There's something broken in all of us and it's caused by sin and we need restoration. And this angel says that this child, this Messiah, this son born on this day and this time is the only one that can bring that restoration to humanity. And then the angel tells the shepherds to go find him. And he says, I'll give you a sign. When you go to look for him, there will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This is very specific because if you're a shepherd out in the field and you've just heard the Messiah was born, you're assuming that Messiah is going to be in a palace. That he's going to have the royal robes and the servants and the satin sheets and all the good things. But the angel says, no, he's going to be wrapped in clothes in a manger, which is where animals eat out of. This is probably very odd to them, but they are quite terrified because they've just seen an angel of God and I don't think they want to argue with him. So they say okay and they go and they find him. The story of this first Christmas isn't just a cute children's story that we roll out once a year with cute animals and robes and kids with fake beards on, which is awesome. But it's not just that it is so much more, and it's not always as nice and clean and neat. It's a very messy story of a young teenage girl giving birth in a stable, alone, except for Joseph, who is a carpenter, not a doctor, and they're there with the animals. This is how the savior of the world, this is how God puts on flesh, And comes into his world. But before the shepherds can even leave the angel, something else wild happens. I love this part of the story. Verse 13 and 14 says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. A great heavenly host. I think if you're like me, you might imagine this as like the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Maybe it's like 70 people in ugly robes, no offense, and they're just singing. But it is so much more than that because the word that's used here for heavenly host is the same word as the armies of God, it's not a choir. It's not a show choir. It is the armies of the Almighty God that are standing there singing the praise of Jesus. And the word that is used here for multitude is the same word that the author of Hebrews uses when he's describing how many grains of sand are on the seashore. So we can't even imagine this, guys. This would blow our minds. Don't imagine a quiet sky. Imagine the sky explodes and is full in every direction that you can possibly look with the angels of God and they're crying out to the the joy of the Lord. Something interesting about this was in the first century, having your firstborn son was a really big deal. It still is. But if you were a Jewish family in the first century, This was a really big deal. This was the person that would continue on your lineage. And so families that had means would actually hire people to come and sing at the birth of their firstborn son. Well, guess what? God doesn't have to hire anybody. He's got some armies ready to sing and to rejoice because Jesus has come. And everybody, these... (laughs) These shepherds, I can't even imagine what's going through their mind. But after this, they are definitely listening. Like, we're going to go find a baby in a manger. Because you can't fake that. This was the announcement that the one true God of the world, the one true king of the world has come. And it is Jesus. It's not that other guy. It's not the politician who tries to rule from his seat of authority. He's a false God, a prideful, arrogant man that must force people to worship him under the threat of violence. But the true king of the world doesn't need to do that. The host of heaven comes in and they sing his praises of worship and adoration. Listen, the calling on all of our lives is to join with that multitude to proclaim the glory and splendor of the God who has given us breath in our lungs. Jesus is the Emmanuel. He comes to be with us. The all eternal God is in Christ. And we join with those armies of God declaring who he is and bringing glory to him. And we try to just wrap our minds around who this Jesus is. Colossians chapter 1 has this amazing section. that tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In short, that means Jesus is everything. There is no creation. There is no land to stand on. There are no s- stars to shine brightly if he is not the God of this universe. He is the visible made flesh and bone, image of God, the complete fullness of God. And he comes into this world to bring us back into right relationship with his father. And he comes and he's placed in a manger, this humbling moment where the God of the universe is in a manger. And then the angel says, go and find the manger. But I want you to notice the manger is just a sign To find Jesus. So often in this time of year, we begin to focus on the signs rather than Jesus, who is in the signs, who the signs point to. The manger was a sign that pointed to Christ, and the manger is a sign that points to everything else that Christ would do in his earthly ministry. It's a sign to the cross. It's a sign to everything that he will do in his life and beyond. Everything, the Christmas points to the cross. All of the messiness of the story points to the cross. The skies opening up to the heavenly armies of God and singing over creation, all of it points forward to the cross of Calvary. And this Christmas baby in a manger Grows to be a man who dies on that cross to bring us peace, to bring us back into right relationship with our God. I want to share a few more amazing things that the Bible has to say, and I want you to know I believe that the Bible is the Word of God. It's not just a religious text, it's not just a moral letter. It is the Word of God. And if you're not the kind of person who goes to church, if you're not the kind of person who's heard this story again and again, I hope that you will listen to this part of what I'm going to say, at least. Christmas is just the beginning of the story of Jesus' life. There's a whole book in the Bible called Romans that explains for us in very specific detail the relationship that you and I can have with Jesus. And it starts with bad news. Because if there's good news, there has to be bad news, right? For you to understand that there's good news, you have to see it in contrast to the bad news. The bad news is Romans 3.23 tells us that all of us have sinned and that we've all fallen short of the perfection of God. All of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we intrinsically know that we have sinned. Maybe you don't even call it that word, but you know you've done wrong. You know you've done evil. You know that you have wronged people. Maybe you even understand that you have wronged God in some way. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6.23 tells us there's a cost to that evil. And the cost, it says, for the wages of sin is death. Because we sin, because we are not perfect, because we have not held that standard, we as people die. But there's good news. The second part of Romans 6.23 says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We still die in this life, but there is something beyond it. Where God saves us unto something greater. Romans 5.8, one of my favorite verses. But God shows his love for us. Listen, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you understand that? While you were still sinning, while you were still in the middle of your sinfulness, while you were still in the middle of the most evil things that you could possibly do in your life, Christ still looks at you and says, I will die for you so that you can be redeemed back to me. I will pay that cost. How does that work? I'm really glad you asked. Thank you for asking. Romans 10, 9 through 10, another one of my favorite verses This is our part. We can't save ourselves. We can't work hard enough. We can't possibly earn the perfection of God. But Romans tells us what we can do. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved tells us that if we believe in our hearts this message of the resurrection, that, that God brought Jesus back from the dead, that, that not even death has power over Jesus. If we believe that in our heart, and then we believe that enough to confess it with our mouths, that we will be saved. Saved from what? That's a really good church Word, right? Like, I'm saved. From what? One, we will live in eternity with God. We will live eternally in the kingdom of God, which is amazing. But I want you to know it's so much more than just that. Like, that's amazing. And we can't even wrap our brains around that. But it has implications for today. We are saved every day from living a life on this earth where we feel like we have no purpose except for to get up in the morning and go back to sleep at night. We are saved from living lives that sometimes feel meaningless or hopeless. We are saved from being the person that somebody else believes that we are, but we can be so much more with the power of God. Jesus wants to save all of us, unto an abundant life. He wants you to be a part of building his kingdom on earth and bringing his message of salvation to everybody in the world. Your life was meant for more than the daily grind of pursuing purpose and meaning in this world. Purpose and meaning that most of you have probably realized is never going to come from the job or the house or the car or anything else else. There's something more. There's a longing in you that you know there must be something more. You were created in the image of God to seek to be more and more like Jesus every day. Around here at this church, and I, by this church, I don't mean this building. I mean the group of people that gather here regularly to live life together Around here, we talk about our purpose a lot. And we've said as a church, we exist because we want to love God, we want to love people, and we want to make disciples, meaning we want to help people understand how to follow Jesus more closely. And we would love it, if you're a guest here, if you wanted to join us in that. But even if you're here just this one time, maybe you're visiting from another state and somebody drug you here, kicking, screaming, I don't know. But if you're here, whether you've been here every Sunday for years or this is the first time you've ever stepped in this room, I want you to know that Jesus wants to save you unto an abundant life and unto eternal glory with him. And if you feel like God is tugging on your heart today, to start this journey, or maybe to restart this journey because you've gotten away from him, then I want you to hear these words. I want you to know that it's just one step on a lifetime of growing to know Jesus more. And I promise you, if you take that step, it will change your life forever. I personally have never met one person who said, I really regret being a Christian. Never. I regret giving my life to Jesus. I'm not going to do what a lot of pastors do and say, everyone, close your eyes. Nobody look around. Raise your hand. I'm not going to do that because that's not what I see in the scriptures. I see people making a confession. Right? And I'm not even going to ask you to do that to everyone here, but I'm, I'm going to throw a prayer up on the screen. And it's just a prayer. Words are not magic. Your prayer could be anything similar to this, but it's basically just asking Jesus, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want to give you my life. I want to follow you. I want to change my future. I want to be a part of you building the kingdom of God. And whether it's for the first time or for the 10th time, I want to just give you space right now in this service to spend a minute or two with Jesus. And if you feel him tugging on you, don't turn your back on him. I'm going to give you just a minute, maybe two, to just pray. And if you need to pray a prayer something like this, do it. If you just need to spend time to do business with God, do that. But I will ask you this. If you pray this prayer or something like it, you don't have to get up here in front of the entire church, but tell somebody. The Word of God tells us to confess with our mouths that we believe. And it holds us accountable. Somebody else is going to know, hey, you made that choice, right? How's that going for you? Somebody's going to ask you about it, and then you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll totally be back in church next week. Or I'll start reading my Bible immediately. Like Whatever it is. You cannot save yourself. Only Jesus can in a relationship with him. So I'm just going to give you a couple of minutes. If you did pray something like that today, whether it's the first time and this is a moment, if, it, if you did that, I want you to understand that heaven is rejoicing in that. If you prayed anything like that, then I want you to hear these last couple verses because the first thing that I think happens when somebody decides that they're going to give their life to Jesus is that the enemy of God wants to convince you that it was a lie. He wants to convince you that you're not good enough, that God couldn't possibly love you. Well, Romans later says in 8.1, it says, Therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation comes from the enemy of God. Condemnation says you're not good enough. You never could be. God can't love you. You've sinned too much. There's no way that God could ever care about you. Those are lies that come from the devil. The Holy Spirit of God never condemns. He convicts. He gives us these convictions, that there are things in our lives that we need to change, that there are things in our lives that we need to get right with God, that there are relationships we need to make right. But that comes from the Holy Spirit. Condemnation, those lies, come from the devil. And then you might think, well, I've fallen away. I might fall away again. I might fall away again. But I want you to hear these words, Romans 8, 38 through 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up as I close. But I just hope that you understand that. There is nobody in this room that has outsinned the grace and mercy of God. If there was, it would probably be me. But we haven't. I don't believe that there's a person in this world that God does not desire to be saved. And he gives us this invitation. He says, I will lay down my life for you. And all you have to do is accept this. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and you'll be saved. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much that uh, you love us. And I pray that if there's anybody in here who is still struggling with that, God, would you just pour it out upon them right now, Jesus? Would you overwhelm them? with how much they are loved by you and that no matter what situation they came from, no matter what their family life was, no matter what's in their past, no matter what's their history, that they are deeply and wonderfully loved by you and that you long to be back in relationship with them. God, would you change us? Every one of us from those who've been walking with you for decades and decades to somebody who maybe has never known you before today, God, would we leave this room changed for your kingdom, for good. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said. We're going to finish this service as we always do on Christmas Eve. There are candles in front of everybody. Just by way of a little bit of uh, instruction, let somebody light your candle for you. And then once you have your candle lit, don't do this thing because then the wax goes everywhere. Just keep it straight up, and then once we're done, there are buckets in the back that you can put your candles in, but we're going to take time. I'm going to bring you some fire, and you pass it back, and uh, and then we're going to sing Silent Night together.